0: I fast, I jump in the Spokane River and I go outside barefoot and I get out into the sunlight and I do as many natural lifestyle tactics as I can to balance the biohacking with a natural lifestyle. And I don't think that we need to say that you're going to be a biohacker or you're going to be a naturalist or you're going to be a grinder or you're going to live ancestrally. I think we live in a day and age where you can intelligently, with the right amount of skepticism and wisdom, do both.
1: Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with Ben Greenfield, who really needs no introduction for most listeners. Ben is the host of the popular Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast and has appeared on numerous other shows as a guest. He has been named as one of the world's top 100 most influential people in health and fitness for two years running.
2: All right, well... Ben Greenfield, always a pleasure to have contact with you, to talk to you, to share with you, and to capitalize on that massive quantum computer you have as a brain. <laughs>
0: and, uh, massive quantum computer. Well, I, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be talking to you, Paul. I, um, I got up this morning. I knew you were going to get me on the show, so I started off my day with a Good little weightlifting session. I hit the hit the squat bar and the hex bar this morning. Good. And uh, then I, I I had a a great big ribeye steak with a giant piping hot cup of bone broth for breakfast. And now I'm I'm chomping on some nicotine gum and walking on my treadmill and talking to you.
2: Well, you got it all covered, man. I, if you, yeah. I, I can't I can't imagine how much you'd get done if you
0: just had a couple more arms and legs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I've got my I've got my oil diffuser going. I, I diffuse oils all day long in my office. And what I have going right now is really really nice as a pick me up. It's a, it's a cinnamon essential oil. I love cinnamon.
2: Well, you know, uh speaking of essential oils, thanks for turning me on to Dr. Nick a while back. Oh. We've had some time uh, multiple visits together. He came to my level four Czech practitioner class and shared a bunch of oils and talked to us about them. And I did a yeah. three-hour podcast with him covering essential oils for a lot of things. So oh, I'm looking man. forward
0: to sharing that. Did you guys talk about blue lotus at all?
2: Uh, I don't remember. Probably, you know, we talked about so many things. I have used blue lotus and I, I yeah. vaporized blue lotus and it's, it's actually a herb used by a lot of shaman.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting one for, I I believe it, it triggers the pineal gland and and causes a little bit of a a DMT release. And it's also an aphrodisiac. The guy that turned me onto it said he couldn't keep the dogs in the neighborhood from humping his legs when he put on his blue Lotus essential oil and walk around the neighborhood.
2: That's very interesting. I guess the dog, the dogs know more about biohacking than a lot of people. (laughs) I guess so. uh, you know, frankincense does basically the same thing. I imagine you know that about the connection between frankincense yeah. and the pineal.
0: Yeah, I I actually like to diffuse frankincense while I'm sleeping. That's that's what's uh, in the diffuser upstairs next to my bedroom right now. Is some Dr. Nick's uh, frankincense. So yeah,
2: that's awesome. Well, you and I have talked about a variety of things in our time together. I think what have I done? Maybe what three, two or three
0: podcasts with you? You've been on my show three times now.
2: Yeah, it's been yeah, fun. And three,
0: three, three strikes and you're out. Never again. Never again.
2: Uh, okay. No, i kidding. <laughs> you just have, you'll have to start a new show like I did. <laughs> I, I took a page out of your playbook here and between you and Aubrey and Mind Pump and a few others, I figured I better start doing this myself so I can get into some of these issues. So I'm excited to talk to you about biohacking. I've titled the podcast today, Biohacking a Deeper Look. Mm. I, couldn't think of anybody better than Ben Greenfield to talk to about biohacking. And as you can probably see from the list of questions, I do have some concerns myself, just from what I've witnessed over the years with the whole biohacking movement. But I also, it's my philosophy to keep an open mind and flip the coin so that you don't have a dogmatic view. So I thought I would take this time with you to to look at both sides of the coin and so today today i I wanted to uh, ask you a few questions um you know one of the things that um i've learned through my career and my life is that there really is no shortcuts for effective self-management or effective conditioning so Can you give us a working definition of biohacking and maybe a little overview of its history just so we can sort of weave that thread together with the concept that there are no shortcuts in the long run?
0: Yeah, sure. I think biohacking just this year or very recently became actual lexicon in the English language and was added to uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And when you, when you go to the dictionary now and you look up biohacking, the, I, I think the definitions are very interesting. Uh, the, the primary definition is biological experimentation as by gene editing or the use of drugs or implants done to improve the qualities or capabilities of living organisms, especially by individuals and groups outside of a traditional medical or scientific research environment and uh that that's that's the big definition another definition is that's often used is experimentation done on one's body so th- those yeah. are kind of the the two main definitions and i suppose uh before answering your question about the history of this that my own definition is uh it, it's a bit clunky but really it's this idea of attempting to 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 increase either the efficiency or the quality of some aspect of, of human biology uh, using technology. And, uh, and, you know, and, and of course, that uh, admittedly rules out many things people call biohacking, like, say, putting a stick of butter into your coffee. I don't really consider that to be biohacking. I consider that to be cooking. Uh, yeah. with, with typically a blender or a latte frother, uh, you know, neither do I consider to be, say, um, stacking a bunch of, let's say, smart drugs, biohacking, I mean, for traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years, you know, ginseng has been used as, as a sort of, a sort of nootropic and smart drug. And the same could be said for, you know, bacopa flour for memory or green tea for cognition or, or even psilocybin for neurogenesis. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily really categorize either supplementation or different methods of, of cooking to be biohacking per se. Um, however, when, when you look at the history of biohacking, you know, it's my impression that this really be- began with uh, with the grinders, with folks like, uh, you know, Kevin Warwick of Wired Magazine and and many of these folks who, who uh, you know, up to 20 years ago, I believe, uh, it's an approximate timeline, were beginning to put things like chips into their bodies to somehow enable them to be able to read the mind or, or speak without verbal communication to someone else who had that same chip installed in their head, or, uh, you know, the, these so-called grinders who treat the human body as wetware and refer to any of the hacks that they put into it as hardware. So there are everything from led tattoos that simply make light. And that, and to me, that doesn't seem very functional. Although one could argue that, you know, maybe you have a built-in flashlight, you know, under the skin of your arm. Uh, and then there are, you know, there are folks like, uh, you know, uh, a biohacker named Rich Lee who has a, a, an electromagnetic implant in his ear. Uh, he was hard of hearing, and so he wanted to research some kind of technology that would vibrate his eardrum as, as sound reached it uh, using electromagnetism. That's another example. Um, there are uh, the, the duo of biohackers who injected chlorophyll into their eyeballs to induce night vision. Uh, did it, did it work? <laughs> it worked. It worked temporarily. Uh, of course, you know, I think that and, and we, we can certainly explore this uh, more as we kind of go down this road. There are, as you know, far more natural uh, and healthy ways to increase your quality of your vision, such as, you know, a diet rich in lutein and zeaxanthin and carotenoids and things like the Bates method for exercising the eyes and, you know, focusing as our ancestors did on objects both near and far, as opposed to our, our modern myopic view of screens, you know, one to three feet away. But ult- ultimately, you know, those, those folks who injected themselves with chlorophyll would be another example. Um, you know, uh, if, if I could give one more, there's, uh, there's uh, the folks at Cyborg Nest and they've developed an implantable compass. So, you know, a professional body piercer can, uh, can install a compass under your collarbone or not a compass. It's kind of like a, it's a, it's a chip and it will vibrate every time that you face true north. Uh, uh-huh. and, and I suppose that would be an example of a biohack as well. You know, an attempt to be able to wayfind, or or migrate or move more easily through the planet by using your built-in compass. Although even that one's interesting too. Because if you look at birds or fish, they're able to navigate surprising distances with incredible accuracy using something called magnetoreception. And that, you know, that's simply using the Earth's magnetic fields to wayfind, uh, which is yeah. one, one of the problems messing. now with 4G and 5G, and that's a, that's an issue uh, because it's it's messing up a lot of animals' ability to migrate, but humans too. We have magnetite, you know, we, we have a, a big chunky mineral magnetite in our ethmoid bone and our sinuses right between our eyes and, and uh, anthropologists hypothesize that that's there because at some point, uh, our hunter gatherer ancestors were able to, to way find and migrate and move across the planet more easily by being able to, to, you know, with a sixth sense, so to speak, detect true North. And so I got kind of a long winded answer to your question, but in in my opinion, it is, it is, kind of this concept historically of using the human body as wetware and installing hardware into it, typically technology to somehow upgrade it. And then my definition of biohacking would, would be using something technological to make yourself more efficient or to make your, make your body or your brain work better. And I, I could certainly give some examples of that as well, if you'd like, that don't involve implanting things into your body.
2: Well, actually, yeah, this is my next question. But before we go to that, you use the term grinders. I imagine a lot of people listening wouldn't be familiar. Can you just outline a little bit what a grinder is as opposed to any other type of hacker?
0: Yeah, I don't know that much about the grinding movement, although there's there's a, a book called, uh, called Grinding or Grinder or something that's like a photo book of all the crazy implants and things people do to their body. But it's my impression it's people who who actually – biohack their bodies uh, with with some type of technological device. And I think that would include like the guys with chlorophyll, some kind of, of chemicals or something like that. So really, I would say that you could just consider a grinder to be almost like a uh, kind of an extreme biohacker, you know, because these folks are, are really, you know, uh, you know, largely toying with with human biology in a very invasive manner, right? Like I would just say a grinder kind of takes that invasiveness to the next level. And of course, that also carries with it a, a host of issues that go beyond what many of us would experience if we were to say, tattoo our bodies and get little carbon nanomolecules and, and pigments potentially in our bloodstream. You know, th- these are folks who I would suspect, you know, I guess the same could be said of someone with a hip or a knee implant. They're probably getting exposed to more metals, more EMF. Uh, more foreign compounds, more potential for autoimmunity and a lot of other issues with implanting these devices into their bodies. but uh, you know nonetheless, I would say grinder is just kind of a more extreme version of a biohacker who needs to fall into that category of actually you know uh, in, in installing devices or chemicals typically you know somewhat permanently into their bodies.
2: yeah, when I look into biohacking, I did some research just because it, it keeps coming up over and over and over again. And many of the athletes that I work with are using various devices and patients that I work with. And some of them, I have a a sort of a a say, okay, well, there's something you can get out of that other approaches. I think it's more of a, you know, it's kind of a, a a pipe dream really. But uh, Hmm. when I looked into the grinders, it basically defined grinders as people who focus on, Trying to enhance their body from any perspective, from uh, chemicals and drugs to nutrition to implants. It was a quite a broad definition.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, I think it's interesting. I'd, the only area I disagree with is like the the chemicals part of thing. I, I think that has to be, I, I would say, largely synthetic chemicals. You know, may, maybe you could argue that the folks who are using like PLSD, you know, which I uh, from what I understand, some some crazy number, like, you know, forty to fifty percent of Silicon Valley execs are now on or microdosing with some derivative of LSD or PLSD. You know, as, as you know, that's a largely synthetic chemical compared to something that one could argue would be more natural, like some of those others that I listed earlier as smart drugs or, you know, other, other things that that can be used on the brain, such as you know, St. John's Ward or Passion flower or Chinese skull cap or whatever, so perhaps you know I, I suppose one could say that you could include chemicals and the use of supplements or smart drugs into the definition of biohacking but I would say the largely synthetic ones in my opinion seem to be the ones that fall underneath that definition
2: yeah, I think that's also potentially an area that's quite risky as long as well as some of the other things we'll get into I'm sure but in my research on LSD, one of the questions that researchers from Albert Hoffman forward have always asked is, why does the trip last so long? You know, typically an LSD journey is a good eight to ten hours, depending on you know who who made the medicine and what molecular structure it is. But generally, what I found out is that the body doesn't know what to do with it. So the cells just keep passing it around repeatedly until the uh, molecule degrades in the body, which takes about 10 hours. And I have seen uh, multiple cases in my career of people getting very badly poisoned by what they thought was LSD and may or may not have been. But the key point being just like we have problems with synthetically produced hormone and hormone replacements, I think that there is some risk for exploring some of these synthetic yeah, type.
0: there is, and 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 I suppose too that, that part of it would depend on how the LSD is made, because you know, as, as you you probably know, I think you know it originally is derived from lysergic acid, and that comes from yeah. a rye seed, which you can make from a fungus. Yeah, you know, typically on, on rye or on morning glory, and so I I I really haven't looked too much into what what either the microdosing effect or the dopamine and serotonin effect or the overall physiological effect would be of like a synthetically derived LSD versus say a lysergic acid derivative that you <laughs> grew at home on a rye seed or morning glory. Uh, I, I would suspect that there might even be a, a difference there. So I think a lot of this stuff, um, you know, <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of rabbit holes you can dive down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, oh, what's it called the lucinian mysteries, the Greek mystery schools where they used to drink, a potion, which they've a lot of research now suggests it was an Ergot formula, probably uh like a natural l s d that was produced in this liquid beverage that they made and I have had uh I had somebody tell me about being in India, and mm-hmm. they went and saw a mystic who gave them some rice that they had carefully brought into a state of being moldy, and they had a wickedly powerful journey that was essentially akin to an LSD journey, but it was basically molding rice.
0: Yeah. So- yeah. And and you know, speaking of India, in, in Ayurveda, you know, there's there's that whole concept of soma. Right, like yeah, the uh-huh. uh, the idea that there was some kind of a, a plant that you know was found in the Vedas and the original Sanskrit and yeah. in Ayurvedic literature, you know, some some kind of plant, and there's a lot of hypotheses as to what it could be. Uh, but this plant apparently carried some some pretty hefty psychedelic properties along with it. Uh, and, and, and just as an aside, I got back from Tokyo, Japan, about three months ago after uh, going through a miso making class there. Oh, and, uh, today was the three month birth of my miso. And I went up to harvest it earlier and, and take it out of the pantry from its cool, dark place. And it, it has a, a hefty, hefty portion of mold and fungus growing on the top of it, which, which I guess is acceptable for me. So when you just kind of scrape that off, but, um, you know, if, if I, if I decide to try a little bit and, and wind up going on my own little Soma journey, then we've identified that the original Soma may have been the, the soybean. So. Find it's out.
2: possible uh i've studied this quite <laughs> a bit it. i've studied this quite a bit because as you know i'm a medicine man and spirit guide and use plant medicines clinically or you know professionally but uh uh it seems to be the most common consensus in the researchers is that soma had something to do with uh, one of the psychedelic mushrooms from what i can mm. can from, can find out but, yeah or uh, cannabis it's possible yeah because cannabis is real big in in india but uh yeah when I make my San Pedro I I ferment my San Pedro with kombucha tea and it develops quite a thick coating of white mold on it and mm-hmm. at first I was very concerned about consuming it but my soul gave me the green light and uh it turned out to be quite magical and I've been using the technique ever since so uh, it's definitely a much nicer experience than the typical San Pedro. It's far easier to digest and get into your body than than the uh, San Pedro that you yeah. uh, normally take. Um, so I think, yeah, this is you know this is uh, what we're talking about right now. If you go back far enough, it's called alchemy, and it seems that there's some parallels between what alchemists were doing and what biohackers are doing. The difference now being that we're including electronic gadgets, where the alchemists were, you know, a combination of chemicals and the you know alchemy is what became the science of chemistry, but it also became a spiritual science. But from my research into alchemy, which is quite extensive, there's there's certainly many experiments that went south, and people got you know killed or sick or diseased and. So it seems like it's just part of the nature of a human being to kind of constantly push the edges in in anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And And, you know, I think that part of it also appeals to and I was reading an excellent article about this yesterday morning, this idea that that humans, especially in this day and age, have been taught to believe, you know, thanks to um you know books like uh, uh, getting things done for example or 4 hour work week that time efficiency is the holy grail of productivity and achievement and lasting impact and thus i think that to a great extent and i suppose this may have happened although i'm not familiar with the the history of alchemy but you know when people were trying to figure out a way to get rich by turning some some chemical into gold you know it in the same it way lead yeah it, it was lead yeah, yeah people are trying to figure out how to how to um achieve more with a lot of what arguably could be considered shortcuts and so yeah. i think i think there's kind of like a like a dark side and a good side to biohacking you know when i refer to to shortcuts you know one example of a, of a silly shortcut would be I'm going to stand on a vibration platform to increase my bone density and get fit. I'm biohacking my fitness. And maybe I'll do that while I'm wearing an elevation training mask. So rather than uh, elevating lactic acid in my muscles and entering some kind of metabolic or respiratory acidosis, I'm going to simulate that with a little bit of of inspiratory and expiratory muscle resistance. Well, you and I as, as strength and conditioning professionals, Know that that's that's somewhat silly unless we're talking about you know someone someone who's in a in a in a pretty early state of rehabilitation and, and relatively immobile. That's really not going to get you remarkably fit. You know that, that's an example of what I would consider to be like a shortcut biohack. It it's comfortable, right? It feels like some kind of machine is doing the work for you. But not yeah. only does it not result in the same satellite cell response or or you know growth in in red blood cell count or anything along those lines. But it also, you know, when you look at this from, from the psychological or even the spiritual side of training, you know, you are in no way entering into, uh, entering into a state where you are increasing your own resilience to stress by doing a hard thing and overcoming the resistance to, to move something heavy or to breathe hard. Uh, but neither are you entering into kind of some of the self control and meditation and even alpha brainwave production that you get when you are actually training and training hard and pushing yourself and needing to focus and needing to be patient and needing to come back sometimes for a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth set rather than just doing one set. Uh, and and so I think that that you miss out on a lot with a shortcut like that. But at the same time, there are shortcuts that are beneficial. For example. Uh, just this morning, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna go what you know what is not as extreme as chlorophyll injected into the eyeballs, but what what many people who aren't familiar with biohacking would consider to be extreme. Uh, what I did is I sipped my morning coffee this morning. I walked into my office. Now, mind you, I live in Spokane Valley, Washington. It's winter. I live in the forest on a north facing slope where I get sunlight maybe from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. If I'm lucky. And right. not only that, but I work indoors and I travel a lot. I'm, I'm on and off of airplanes to go speak at places, et cetera. And so I'm not seeing a lot of sunlight and I'm also needing to normalize my body's circadian rhythm as much as possible. So what did I do? I made my coffee. I went to my office and I, I put uh, white light a little white light device called a human charger into my ears. And that interacts with photoreceptors in the ears originally studied in Finland for seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. uh, can also regulate the circadian rhythm. And I put a similar device on my eyes called a, a re timer, which is a pair of glasses that creates a light. It's different than the blue light boxes you'd get off of say Amazon, which is a kind of a bright whitish blue light that can be a little bit harsh on the retinas. It's more of like a, a greenish blue spectrum that, that isn't as, as, as uh, harsh, it, it's it's not as uh, it, it doesn't doesn't leave you unable to see when you take the things off. And then I was sandwiched, you know, working in between two panels of what are called photobiomodulation. Uh, these things yeah. emit far, uh, or actually no, not far; they emit near infrared and red light. Uh, and furthermore, on top of my head, I was wearing another device that also uses infrared light to specifically uh, stimulate the, the cytochrome C oxidase part of the mitochondria in my neural tissue. And so, essentially, I was blasting my body with as many wavelengths of light as possible to simulate sunlight while stuck indoors on a wintry day, going through my morning reading while sipping my coffee. I consider that to be a shortcut. I certainly could have spent probably a good hour driving down to the river where I know there's there's a there's a you know there's it's it's kind of down the way about two miles and there's a good spot of sunshine there and I could have I could have driven down there and gotten out in the sunshine gone on a walk but you know there it's it, it was far more convenient for me this morning to do that biohack to do that shortcut of of light in my environment and you know that that's just one example of, of you know what I would consider to be an appropriate and helpful and beneficial use of technology uh, to enhance my morning. Uh, versus you know I, I I could have I guess skipped the skipped the hex bar and the squat and uh, I, I also did bench press. I did overhead alternating uh, dumbbell press this morning. I did pull ups. I did hanging leg raises. And I did kettlebell swings. I could have skipped all that and I do own a vibration platform, right? I I could have gone and stood on top of the vibration platform instead, but, you know, that was a a biohack I didn't do because I think that's a silly biohack. Uh, I would only use a vibration platform to prepare the muscles for a sprint or a heavy lift uh, or to, or to help to go poop in the morning. Uh, And, you know, and, and I instead chose to do the hard work. So, you know, I, I think that you can compare and contrast plenty of methods, but that's just one example.
2: Yeah, I've I've used seasonal affective disorder lights for a long time. I've done a tremendous amount of teaching in uh, Denmark, um, Germany. Uh, you know, in the Scandinavian region, and in particularly over there, like in in Denmark and Sweden in the winter time there's as you know very little light i would find myself going into a state of depression and like what in the hell's going on and so i started looking into seasonal affective disorder lights and i found one at a store there it was only like 20 bucks but it was like a miracle it 20 minutes with that thing in the morning totally mm-hmm. totally shifted my inner state um, i was having a hard time getting motivated to teach and be with people and it just felt like I was living in a cave all the time. So yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it's, me, it's a serious issue
0: over there. Yeah, and, and a, by the way, by the way, just just a quick note: Did you know that people who who are from an area like that, like Iceland, who relocate to the to to anywhere where they're thrust into a more westernized diet, you know, particularly one void in fatty acids, higher in starch and sugar. You see even higher rates of depression, even once they're put into a sunnier climate. Uh, And the reason for that is that, you know, a lot of those populations, one of the reasons that they have, they have stuck so heavily with a diet rich in omega-3 fatty acids and, you know, red meats rich in fatty acids like, like lamb and, you know, foods like, you know, cod and, and salmon and, and the, uh, you know, the dairy that, what do they call it? The skewer that, you know, the dairy from the, from the grass fed cows, they're Uh getting tons of omega-3s that, that help to balance, that issue and, and it's very interesting how you know a lot of these populations have adopted diets that specifically address uh, risk factors that they're at a higher risk for based on their geographical locale
2: yes, and there there's a limit to what we can adapt to with regard to circadian stress. I've had clients over the years that were having serious health problems, and one of the things I tracked it too was that they had moved to California, say, for example, New York or East Coast or other countries. And when I tracked when their symptoms began, it was within a few months of moving to California or to the, to the West from where, where – to you know, Western United States where they came to see me from. Yes. And I found uh, on a couple of occasions that I actually had to have them take a vacation in the same region that they were born in to see how their body felt. And in, in the cases where I had to do that, both of them said that felt like within about five or six days, their whole life had changed. Their brain was back on, their body was back on, pain was going away. So through my own yeah. clinical work, I found that we we have a, a, a limit to what we can adapt to, no matter what technologies you throw at, because I think it's a combination yes. of Genetics and um, epigenetics as far as how far can we stretch the system, you know?
0: There's a book, by the way, called The Jungle Effect by Dr. Daphne Miller about how the uh, Cameroon Africans have a high uh, genetic risk for colon cancer and manifest colon cancer in the United States, but do not in their region because of their high fiber diet or, you know, the Tower Mahara Indian tribe. Mexico with their diet high in in maize and legumes. Uh, as soon as you get them on like a Tex-Mex diet up in California, they develop diabetes that they actually have a genetic susceptibility towards, but don't get when eating in their native environment. And you know you, the list could go on and on, but it's it is very interesting how much you you f things up when you when you introduce that westernized diet to a population that's developed a diet that actually works for them.
2: Yeah, that's why it's called sad crap, right? Standard Man. American diet, carbohydrates, refined food, additives, and pervert preservatives. Pervertitives. <laughs> Pervertitives. <pervertatives. laughs> um, what's white and fluffy and crawls up your leg?
0: Uh, I don't know.
2: Uncle Ben's perverted rice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I know you are a pioneer and explorer in many areas – and I I don't think we have time to list all the biohacking techniques you had, but if you had to list like maybe your top two or three other than what you've already shared that work well and which ones that you've tried that you ended up saying, well, that wasn't worth the time, energy, effort, or discomfort to, to do, what would you share?
0: Uh, biohacks that work well. Yeah. Um... I have implanted in my abdomen, a continuous blood glucose monitor called a Dexcom G6. And at any point I can glance at my phone and see my blood sugar rather than like, you know, stopping and pricking the finger and getting the blood. And that's a delayed response to, to anything. And so I can identify from coffee to green beans, to legumes, to steak, to walking, to running, to stress, to anything and I can look at the impact that that has on my blood sugar level. And I consider, from a from a human health and lifespan standpoint, uh, if we were to put aside the extremely important aspect of the spiritual disciplines, you know, relationships, love, life, laughter, uh, you know, silence, solitude, meditation, etc., I think two of the most profound things you can track for your overall health and lifespan is your glycemic variability and your inflammation inflammation you know a blood measurement of CRP or homocysteine or fibrinogen or something like that at this point with where technology is at cannot be done with some kind of an implant that tracks your your blood but glucose can and so i can track my glycemic variability and it gives me a great deal of insight as to you know surprising things like green beans spike my blood glucose much higher than i would expect and uh, to the extent to where I actually got a food allergy test done uh, from from a, a, a pretty good food allergy panel called a Cyrex, most of them just give you this big laundry loss of false positives like the ELISA and the Alcat and you know, none of those tests. A lot of times they just, they show you a bunch of antigens to a food that you have antigens to because it's a staple in your diet, right? Like eggs or chicken and people are like, oh, I can't eat eggs and chicken ever again. It's not necessarily because you have a food allergy. It's because those are the, Food you've been eating, Uh, you don't really get that with a like a Cyrex food allergy panel. Sure enough, I actually present an antigenic, a true antigenic response to green beans. So, so it's very interesting the insight I can get with something like that. So that's one um, that that works well. Uh, Another one is you know like those uh, those all those lights that I just mentioned. With as much as I travel man, I I can wake up at 4am because I've been back East and my body's telling me that it's 7am and it's time to get up. And so what I'll do is I'll just get up at 4am if I, you know, rather than just laying there in bed, but I'll put on blue light blocking glasses and I'll keep my body convinced that it's night and I'll try to stay away from screens and I'll read a book and go downstairs and sit in the sauna and just kind of get some things done. And then once the time rolls around that I want to, reset my body's circadian rhythm and tell them that it actually is daytime. That's when I'll pull out all those lights and blast my body with light. And I can reboot my circadian rhythm within a couple of days of that. Whereas, you know, it used to take me like a week to kind of get back onto, back onto Pacific time when I'd come back from the East coast. So that, that's another one that works well for me. And then, uh, I would say, let me, let me think of of one more example of something that That I actually do like. Uh, I I would say another one that works very well is this technology that's called exercise with oxygen therapy, where, you know, for me training, you know, as as a Spartan athlete and a lot of these races taking place at ski resorts up at altitude, I live at about 2,500 feet in Spokane. And I just don't have the time. You know, I've got a family here at home and I I, I can't leave to go drive up Spokane Mountain to get to about 6,000, about as high as I could get there. Neither do I have time to fly to Boulder or Park City or, or Mexico City or anywhere else to train. And so I've got this little device that's back behind me in my office here. I can get on the bike next to the device. It sucks all the oxygen out of this chamber and I can simply train in a hypoxic state. Uh, using this, this technology, this biohack to, you know, to fool my body that I'm training on top of a mountain. And that works very well for me to prepare for these races that I, I just can't get to altitude and I can't get to the race like four weeks prior. Cause you know, it's just, it just doesn't work for me with my job and my family. That's another example of something that works well is, is this whole exercise with oxygen therapy. And I like it too, cause I can, with the flip of a switch, switch to hyperoxia, like full oxygen. And when you go back and forth from hypoxia, to hyperoxia like that, you actually get this, this vasodilation, vasoconstriction response and a, and a really good, uh, nitric oxide response to the exercise session. So, uh, those are some examples of, you know, of, of things that, that work well for me from like a fitness or a circadian rhythm standpoint or a health standpoint. Uh, and then, you know, things that I, that I don't re- really move the dial for me that, you know, folks consider to be biohacking, um, cryotherapy chambers, right? Cryotherapy chambers. I've, you know, it seems like every time I'm at some fancy health facility that has one, you know, like oh, get in the cryotherapy chamber. Well, A, if you look at our ancestors, the, you know, the Cherokee Native American tribe has a habit of ceremonially dipping their babies in cold water up to two years old, you know, in icy rivers and the, the Finnish and the Eastern Europeans and the, and, the, and the Russians build their saunas next to cold, you know, like the Baltic Sea and the cold lakes and oceans and go from cold to hot to cold again. And you've got like the, the Icelandic population speak of the devil. They, they still allow their babies to sleep in strollers and sub-zero temperatures to increase the strength of the immune system. And, you know, there's the, there's the viral video footage of the Siberian school children rushing out for recess into the snow in their underpants and dumping cold water on their heads. And that's just like their tradition to keep them, you know, resilient at school. And, you know, yet we'll pay three minutes to get into a, one of these cryotherapy chambers and, you know, pay 70 bucks and get goosebumps for, for a few minutes. And I've never really compared to like jumping in the Spokane river or getting in this, you know, I have got a cold pool out in the forest back behind my house. Like I, I haven't really noticed much with cryotherapy chambers. And part of it might be the, you know, the hydrostatic pressure of the water against your skin is different than those gaseous tubes that you step into. But you know, the cryotherapy, I think that's a little bit overrated, especially for people who are going to wear their coat to walk to the mailbox on a chilly morning and put on the heater in their car and take a hot shower and hot bath and go pay a few hundred bucks for a cryotherapy membership. You know, that's, that's one that, that I just don't think really moves the dial much. Well, um,
2: I think too. just on that, it, it's just like how many of these people are, could just take a damn cold shower yeah. and, and, and spend the time in there to chill the body
0: effectively Versus, well, that's not sexy. That doesn't make for a good Instagram photo.
2: Well, I know, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, this is the kind of stuff I wanted to talk to you about because I wanted to, you know, flip the coin and 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 have an honest look, or as I call it, a yeah. deeper look. But uh, this is, you know, one of the things I've seen. This leads me to a comment, which is, I've seen the whole biohacking thing becoming um, a very commercial industry that's really more about selling promises and gimmicks. And fancy ads just like almost every other thing from makeup to healthcare products. And it's gotten to the point where I'm like, how far is this going to go? Because the number of things that are being bought out there in the name of a genuine interest in improving one's health, a lot of them I think are are in the same box, just gimmicks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, that, I I agree. And then some, you know, like cryotherapy, they're just better, more natural options. You know, another example would be uh, uh, pulsed electromagnetic field therapy or PEMF. Yeah. You know, these are handheld uh-huh. devices or mats that are meant to mimic the same electromagnetic frequencies that are emitted by the planet Earth. Anything from, you know, a lot of people think it's just 7.8 hertz, the Schumann resonance, but the Earth operates at, you know, three up to 100 hertz and in some geothermal spots, you know, higher or lower than that. And, you know, these, these things do work. There's some evidence they might decrease inflammation or improve bone healing response. Some of the very, very high power, high intensity ones that they use in like the racehorsing industry actually do get rid of injuries pretty fast, but there, there is nothing that compares to going outside barefoot, to sleeping outside, to camping outside. You know, to you know, our ancestors wore animal skins on their on their feet, and, and you know, as opposed to big built up rubber soled shoes, and, and these could actually conduct ions. Yeah, uh, you know, t- touching trees or climbing trees, being on rocks or rock climbing. I mean, you know, again, like part of it for me is, well, sure, go out and, and get a PEMF device, but go outside barefoot first, or at least adopt a daily habit of that and maybe teach yourself how to camp and sleep outside every once in a while, uh, or or get, get yourself your cryotherapy chamber membership card, but maybe start taking a cold shower first, you know? And so some of these things kind of have a gray area where it's like, yeah, they work, but in my opinion, you really need to do, or, or, uh, I guess I would say develop, right. A more healthy, natural ancestral relationship with the home planet. And, and, you know, some of these, some of these things that the earth presents to us that are really hormetic stressors, right? Because that's the operational mechanism via which a lot of these things like cold and heat and light and radiation and exercise and, uh, you know, wild plant intake from dark leafy greens for your lutein and your zeaxanthin versus, versus, you know, chlorophyll injections into your eyeballs. A lot of these things work based on the principle of hormesis or xenohormesis or this idea that mild amounts of of somewhat uncomfortable physical stress induce a an increase in cellular resistance, in endogenous antioxidant production, and a lot of benefits that perhaps one could simulate via biohacking, but I still think need to be first accessed through healthy and natural methods before you start to, you know, slap down the money for all the all the all the fancy technology.
2: Well, this is I think, you know, this is exactly why I teach my four doctor system, which is be clear on what your dream goal or objective is. So you have a reason to focus yourself and, and not fall into bad habit patterns, whether they be diet, exercise or sleep or otherwise, and be honest about how much movement and what type of movement it takes to achieve your stated goal or objective or dream. Understand the importance of rest Understand the importance of eating high quality food for your individual needs, not following somebody else's diet prescription, but having a relationship with your body and learning to recognize the signs and symptoms. You know, you mentioned uh, Alcat and related tests. I, uh, years and years ago, you know, I was doing this stuff when Alcat first came on the market, and uh, I've tested a number of country com- companies with double blood draws, and I would send my blood in and then, then a second round of my own blood with someone else's name. And in every case, there was no correlation whatsoever in the two findings, even though they came from my blood. And that's why I tell people, you need to learn how to do four-day rotation diet, and/or which is really a, a functional exclusion diet. And in the process, you actually learn about your body. And you find that at different times in your life under different stressors, whether it be relationship stress, environmental stress such as weather, exercise stress, uh, things like deaths in the family or transition stress, that your your dietary needs can change quite radically. But uh, people, yeah. people always want to be told what to do, which I think has to do with uh, the lack of psychological maturity of a lot of our population and the unwillingness to – engage themselves as opposed to trusting whatever's written on a piece of paper by someone with a PhD is fact.
0: Yes. And and a big part of this too relates to the concept that the body operates best on press pulse cycling. It's a concept in, you know, periodization and strength conditioning, you know, reaching overtraining or at least yeah. an overreaching response. And then uh, bouncing back with rest and recovery. And this idea yeah. of seasonal eating applies too. you know, there's something called the, the uh, cell danger response, CDR, in which the body can remain in a sympathetically driven state, especially after a stress or exposure to a mold or a mycotoxin or uh, some, some pretty intense form of emotional or, or physical or biological stress. And when that happens, uh, it, there's there's a great book about this called Toxins by Dr. Nathan Neal. Wonderful book, and he goes into this concept that in many cases, you know, one of the advantages of you know, say like a Mediterranean diet or an or an Ayurvedic approach to diet or any of these is, is there are certain periods of cleansing during the years. And he gets into the concept and and I, when I read this section of the book, I thought of you, Paul. He gets into the concept of summer metabolism versus winter metabolism and the need to make some pretty significant dietary shifts as as the foods around us shift in their availability. And, you know, I don't know if you remember the, the, the mandala painting that we worked on. Yes. And, you know, one aspect of that painting was that I, I drew a, a tree that was, that was flourishing fresh cherry buds in the winter. Yes, I remember. And, and you reflected that for me, this hard driven, very kind of Yang guy who's been, you know, doing the Ironman triathlons and the Spartan races and all these masochistic events for the past you know, almost two decades uh, needed to enter into a winter of my life and yes, kind of yeah. put put the brakes on some of the hard charging stuff. You know, and that was incredibly meaningful to me and changed my life. And you know, and, and when you when you look at at this from a dietary standpoint, kind of a I guess it's a rabbit hole from the comment on the Elisa and Alcat testing. Yeah, I mean, a, a big part of this whole food sensitivity, food allergy, food intolerance scenario is, I think, driven to a great deal in part uh, by us just eating the same diet year in, year out, uh, you know, all year round.
2: Well, interestingly, years ago, I mean, probably 10, 15 years ago, I was doing research on a couple of different things. And I came across two independent research studies. One showed that the average person today, if challenged only knows about t- 10 to 12 exercises. So if you just walk through a shopping mall and have someone do, demonstrate or tell you all the exercises they know the average person out there only knows 10 to 12 and another study showed that the average person in in a an industrialized society only eats 10 to 12 foods their entire lifetime yep. which you know of course naturally i saw that in my patients and my clients and the athletes i coach but it it, when I found this research and realized this was a, a, a much more global phenomenon, it really, uh, you know, gets back to all the issues Michael Pollan talks about and the dangers of monocropping and, and you know, which is really unfortunately a reductionistic scientific, paradoxically approach to f- food and farming, which is leading us to all sorts of problems that ultimately now. Are giving people piles of symptoms and performance deficits that they're trying to address through biohacking approaches, Mm -hmm. which, which uh, you know, that's one of one of the things I was why I wanted to talk to you about this because I think one of the problems is we've got a gadget happy, uh, you know, reductionist science driven culture, and they keep falling into trying to fix symptoms of deeper problems with yet another gadget that they don't realize it's modulating or monitoring oftentimes it's monitoring symptoms of deeper issues such as just not getting enough sleep or not eating well or not exercising properly
0: yeah and or or, or fixing emotions or relationships you know for example yesterday <laughs> yesterday is a perfect example i was pounding away at my right hip socket with one of these, let's call it a biohack, right? A hypervolt gadget. It's like a screwdriver for massage therapy, right? Yeah. yeah. The I use, muscle. I, I use, use those music.
2: percussion tools.
0: It's a biohack massage therapist. Yeah. You know? But let's just, let's just say it is for, for now. And, and then, you know, and it kind of relaxed my hip a little bit. And then I went downstairs, I'm taking my, my twin boys right now through the book Master Key, you know, one of the original books on manifestation by Charles Hanell. And so each week we do a kind of a 15 minute exercise. And yesterday's, you know, we were two in our minds, take a seed and plant that seed and watch the flower or the seed germinate. And the, 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 the stem eventually spring from the ground and the, the flower burst forth and, you know, you, you smell the flower and you see it swing in the breeze. And mm-hmm. we sat and we did that meditation. Uh, we we do it in the sauna and uh, we we finished the meditation. And I, I glanced at my watch and about 12 minutes had gone by and the boys were sitting there silent. And so I just began to tune into my body and, and figured I'd, we'd keep going for a little while. And I, I started to focus on that right hip and just began to breathe a release into it and began to, to breathe the tension out of that muscle. And after that, you know, we stood up after about 20 minutes and the right hip was, you know, the, the tension had melted away, you know, and I didn't use any, any biohack. I simply took a moment to listen to the still small voice in the silence and pay attention to my body and the signals that it was sending me. And that hip just released all on its own. And I think that you know, the the same could be said for, you know, if, if we compare and contrast any of of kind of our modern biohacks or, you know, folks like the guy who got the surgical implant into his ear, right? We know that scientists have studied the fossilized ear bones of ancestors. They found that they were shaped differently. You know, they hypothesized that that was due to their, their time spent outdoors, you know, tuned into the, the fine frequencies of nature. And they, they were also eating a diet rich in folate, which reduces your risk of hearing loss by over 20%. You know, things like, you know, legumes and dark leafy greens and and cruciferous vegetables. And, and so, you know, once again, you know, that's a situation where an ancestral dietary upgrade could be better than a prosthetic installed into one's ear. Well, the the list of examples could go on and on. But, you know, I'm I'm hoping people are getting the message.
2: Well, you know the thing too is that the technique that you used in the sauna is exactly uh along the lines of the kinds of things that I teach in fact that that is one of them but and interestingly, that meditation you mentioned Steiner was teaching that meditation as part of his uh, spiritual growth training in the late eighteen hundreds the seed
0: Rudolf Steiner,
2: yeah. Yeah. I've got it, you know, you've seen my library, I've got a hundred and seventy Steiner books, so I've studied them a lot, but that's actually one of the meditations he gives for spiritual development, is exactly what you guys were doing. But you know, what what I like about what you just described is if we called that biohacking, we could also call it personal growth and spiritual growth. And now instead of relying on a gadget, you're actually interfacing your psyche with your physical body and you know, the psyche and the body are like a a rainbow at one end. You've got non-local communication, things like telepathy, clairvoyance, but at the other end, you got your, your bones and your toenails and your hamstrings and your biceps and your physical structures. But the psyche is fully invested in all realms of that. But if we keep reaching outside of ourselves for drugs and, uh, vibrators and whatever not that there's not a place for that i say there's no such thing as a bad exercise or a bad drug only an incorrectly prescribed exercise or drug
1: Mm.
2: but what i you know what i'm excited to hear is that you're in agreement with me that if we want to use real biohacking which i hate the word hacking because it sounds so invasive but if we spend time with ourselves and we learn to monitor ourselves and listen to our symptoms and pay attention to our bowel movements, our urine, and and as needed, our pH levels, our energy levels, our mental clarity, our uh, speed of recovery from exercise, how various foods affect us positively or negatively in any one of these given states, then we actually learn and grow and we learn the language of the body. And we find that, we, we don't have a problem if all of a sudden our body's craving bacon and eggs. No matter what some book says, if our body wants bacon and eggs, then we trust that there's a reason for it. If our body wants yeah. bananas, there's a reason for it. But we have to uh, develop a level of authenticity in that uh, evaluation and, and that integration or we can easily be uh, getting tricked by our yeah. ego's fetishes for quick fixes or – uh, excuses to eat more chocolate or sugar, which I have to work with a lot of athletes and clients on because they, yes. they they play games with themselves as the ego often does. One of the things I found interesting is I looked up the personality traits of biohackers, which I wanted to go over with you because I thought it was interesting and it included, um, let's see, uh, traits of biohackers, uh, creating software and sharing it with others uh, people in general, which I think can be positive or negative, because some of the things you know that get shared, it's kind of like sharing how to make LSD with a bunch of uh high school chemists because the next thing you know the streets <laughs> flooded with dangerous
0: drugs. Yeah. Well, so welcome, welcome to Reddit.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a kind of risk with sharing stuff that's not carefully analyzed with long enough studies to determine what the knock-on effect might be placing yeah, a hot high-
0: that, that's all that's also bodybuilding right it's N yeah. equals one just uh, just across the board
2: yes yeah everyone needs massive amounts of protein dot 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 uh create, see so placing a high value on freedom of inquiry which i like that i think we should all uh, explore as effectively as we can and withholding you know the hippocrates uh, dictum do no first do no harm um, hostility to secrecy, I, 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 I find that a bit of a interesting uh, hmm. kind of personality trait. I, I, I think that might be uh, part of what makes some of these buyer hackers kind of um, rebels in their own ways. There's probably some unresolved trauma between daddy and and child that might lead to that. But uh, inf- information sharing uh, as both an ideal and a practical strategy, upholding the right to fork, which is a technical term related to software development, emphasis on rationality, I'm all for that. Distaste of authority, well, that, that goes right back to hostility to secrecy. And then yeah. the last one was playful cleverness, taking the serious humorously and humor seriously.
0: Hmm.
2: That's quite poetic. But, yeah, it is. You know, I think a person could get themselves in trouble with certain chemicals and certain devices taking the serious humorously. I mean there are certain things that you don't want to put in your blood. There are certain things that you don't want to put in your eyes. There are certain things you don't want to put in your body. But if a person doesn't have enough knowledge of anatomy, physiology, and the related health sciences, you can see how some of these people – get off on a very one one pronged yeah. approach.
0: We're you gonna know. we're gonna see a lot of, of Silicon Valley execs and 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 video gamers and college students who are all using these off label you know pharmaceuticals as as smart drugs, you know, like modafinil or uh or, or deprinil, for example. Getting some pretty severe, I suspect, neurotransmitter and neurochemical imbalances with serotonin and and dopamine and the like, because uh, you know, as you just alluded to, they took the the serious humorously and thought they'd just use this stuff to get through a week of meetings, you know, yeah. or or or, or, or e gaming or or finals.
2: Exactly. Well, I, yeah. I I personally took the time to add two uh, traits to the list from my own experience because like you, I interact with countless thousands of people. And uh, though I haven't been doing so many conferences, I spent over 25 years moving constantly around the world, making it around the world twice a year, every year for 25 years and had every kind of person. And I've consulted with large numbers of professional sports teams, Olympic committees and corporations. So I run into all sorts of stuff. In fact, I'm going to be doing an interview with uh, uh, one of my Students, Greg Muller, who was the uh, strength and conditioning coach for the All Blacks, and some other top uh, rugby teams in Australia and New Zealand, about uh, how they, the advanced technology they were using. But the two personality traits I added from my observation is an avoidance of the responsibility that comes with a progressive increase in consciousness. By letting devices tell you what you should ultimately become aware of by being present in and with oneself, Hmm. avoiding the responsibility of taking care of yourself and and learning what – the look, the freaking body is so damn intelligent. I mean when you look at the fact that different researchers say there's between 6 and 30 billion biochemical reactions a second in the human body, that there's enough – there's more neural connections in the neurons of the brain than there are stars in the known universe. I say that if you want to really hack effectively, then hack into the power of the human body and the human mind. It's freaking awesome. And then my next character trait is an immature drive to do anything to enhance the body, mind performance without considering the ethics, morals or long-term consequences Uh, And an example would be uh, athletes using steroids when they're in sports where steroids are not legal. And one of the things I researched years ago, because I had people reaching out to me due to their uh, young children, like uh, 12, 13, 14 year old boys, mostly uh, parents found out that their kids were using steroids and got all freaked out. And some of them reached out to me, Well, I did some research and I found that 13% of Pop Warner football players are using anabolic steroids and they researched where they got them and in each case, the most common source of the steroids was either their big brother or their father and the number one drive behind this was the parent's desire for their child to become a professional athlete so that they could enhance the family's financial position or – get the glory of it. So those wow. types, those are the kind of negative traits. Now we don't have, yeah. uh, we, we're really out of time, but uh, I don't want to keep you either because I want to value your time. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, but we can get into this in another conversation, you know, that the, there's electronic devices, magnets, nutraceuticals, uh, nanotechnologies, bacteria and technologies, but sometime I'd like to talk to you about your feelings on AI technology and the transhumanism movement, which is considered huh. part of the biohacking yeah. movement. Because I think awesome. that's an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, it would, and and I haven't hung out with that crowd much, but I'm attending an event called A360 run by Peter Diamandis in about two weeks, and we'll be kind of thrust into the the. <laughs> the 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 thick of it so to speak from a transhumanist standpoint so i'll probably have quite a few thoughts coming out to that so i i agree we we should definitely visit that even though i don't i don't have a lot to say about ai and transhumanism at this point because frankly i have steered clear of that to a great extent aside from the fact that i have a a, a server that runs 24 seven that uses artificial intelligence to trade, uh, bitcoins, you know, it's, it's, oh, just like a, you know, like, like an investment thing, but you know, if there's and, and we are tight on time, but I guess if there's one thing I could say, uh, to, to bring this full circle, it would be this. I think that every person who is interested in biohacking should give themselves a litmus test. And this is my litmus test. When I go hunting, when I'm up in the high country of Colorado, or or the the back forest of Washington, or I'll, I'll be headed up to the Arctic Circle uh, next year to do you know two weeks uh, of, of of grizzly and caribou and doll sheep hunting, uh, or or you know we, we have the a survival school dropping me and my wife and twin boys off into the the wilderness of Eastern Washington for about a week to survive on our own with a with a backpack and a wool blanket. And, you know, scenarios like that, if you can place yourself into them, even if it just involves camping or wilderness exposure, and you can go out there without, let's say, without an essential oil diffuser, eye mask, binaural beats, and PMF mat, and be able to get a night of sleep and perhaps get yourself to sleep using just meditation <laughs> and breath work. Uh, and if you can get through the day without all of your devices that help you to wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night and get through the brain fog in the afternoon, and if if you can if you can survive naked, so to speak, naked and afraid, uh, on your own in a relatively isolated nature environment, absent of the smart drugs and the chemicals and the technologies, et cetera then i think maybe you've you've made a you've you've made a commitment and you have established the ability to be able to marry ancestral wisdom with modern science meaning that i i do all the crazy procedures and many many others that a lot of folks in the biohacking industry do but i also live off grid in the forest. We we grow our own food. I hunt my own meat. Uh, We we create tinctures and extracts and powders from the wild plants and herbs that grow up here in in our forest. Uh, I camp, I bow hunt, I spear fish, I forage, I fast, I jump in the Spokane river and I go outside barefoot and I get out into the sunlight and I do as many natural lifestyle tactics as I can to balance the biohacking with a natural lifestyle. And I don't think that we need to say that you're going to be a biohacker or you're going to be a naturalist or you're going to be a grinder or you're going to live ancestrally. I think we live in a day and age where you can intelligently with the right amount of skepticism and wisdom do both. Yes. Uh, and and I, I think that's the message I'd like to send to people.
2: Well, I, I agree. And I think it boils down to what I call foundation principles. You know, biohacking builds on top of the foundation. What you're describing is a man who honors the foundation of healthy living as I do. And from the point of having a foundation, then go ahead and explore away and, and who knows, maybe you or somebody will come up with something that's absolutely marvelous and changes history. But I think if we don't maintain healthy rhythms and healthy connection to the things that matter most, then we're apt to be biohacking to treat the symptoms of living Uh, you know, I hate to use the term, but foolishly, um, Joseph Campbell said something very interesting once. He said, if you want to know who your God is, ask yourself what you cannot do without for two or three days. Well, for most people, that's coffee, pills, uh, stimulants, etc. But I think you and I know that what we can't do without for two or three days is breath, sleep, and the kind of things that are essential for a good foundation of health. So uh, Ben, where can people find out more? Although I, you know, asking people where they can find out more about Ben Greenfield is, is kind of silly. Cause I, I don't know of too many people that don't know about you, but just to support people that may not know about your many offerings, your books and and what you can offer, where can they find out more about the amazing Ben Greenfield?
0: uh, uh well, Google, I guess, but, uh, uh, Ben Greenfield Fitness.com is where I've got my blog and my podcast. I, I dedicate to write at least one interesting article each week Great. and I do a podcast a couple of times a week. And then I also own a supplements company and, uh, you can include a, a link in the show notes to that one, but it's called uh key K I O N. And that's where I, where I develop uh, supplements and, and bars and and coffee and things like that. Yes. I
2: think we're going to offer, uh, some, some kind of a special for the listeners, which we'll, we'll put into the program as soon as you and I finish here. Say, Hey, Ben, always a pleasure to connect and, uh, just share with you. And, um, I love, I love your enthusiasm, man. You're, you're a man on fire. That's for sure.
0: Well, thanks Paul. And, um, you know, it's it's pioneers like you who inspire guys like me to be full of this intense curiosity and and go forth and and try to make the world a better place with with uh, the, you know the the knowledge that I'm trying to gather and and my uh, my curiosity about a lot of this stuff. So thank you for all the all the work you've done paving the way.
2: Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and uh, send some love to your wife and tell her again thanks for the lovely foods and jam she sent us i still have one or two of those left and it gets me high every time i eat it and i think of ben sitting in my kitchen talking to me so hey uh, uh let's let's uh find a time to talk about some of these other things i want to talk to you more and whenever you want to talk to me on your show let me know
0: okay big, perfect big, sounds good paul thank you big hug bud
1: thank you for listening to living 4d with paul check and today's guest ben greenfield You can find Ben via his website, bengreenfieldfitness.com, on Instagram, at bengreenfieldfitness, Facebook, at bgfitness, and Twitter, at bengreenfield. Don't forget to visit Ben's new company, Keon, which you can find online at getkeon.com, for all sorts of supplements and exciting products to help you optimize your mind, body, and spirit. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on YouTube. Search for Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's blog at checkinstitute.com forward slash blog.